welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 243, April 1989, issue on sale December 20th, 1988. This one's uh, got a cover price of a dollar and it's titled Ashes because Chris Claremont's doing a thing. The last couple of issues had titles that led up to Ashes. There was like... It was like fan the flame and one of them was burn and one of them was strike the match. Those are out of order, but that's what they were. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, uh, one would say inferno related words. I don't think it has anything to do with inferno actually. Well, they're fire related. I think Chris Claremont was just randomly drawing things out of a hat and that's what he came up with. No. And, uh, Yeah. Uh, on the cover of this one, you have, well, you've got flames in the background and you've got Mr. Sinister uh, holding out a hand with some X-Men and some X-Factors hanging on. And I can't tell if Havoc fell off the hand or if he's just like, hey, I'm in the flames. <laughs> he's dancing. He's doing a little jig. <laughs> he kind of is. You got Wolverine. Beast, Colossus, Storm, Marvel Girl, Iceman, Longshot, and Cyclops. All hanging onto the hand. It says, Sinister, trademark, triumphant. I feel like you can't trademark the word sinister without putting the word mister in front of it. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> this yeah. uh, reminds me of the fourth Batman movie. I think it's the fourth one. The Batman Forever or Batman... Uh, Batman and Robin. I don't know which one. Uh, wasn't it was Batman and Robin? I think was the fourth one. Was there a Bat Family one? Well, Bat Girl was in Batman and Robin, and that's which, about as close as you get to a Bat Family. I see. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, remember when they were driving around in the Batmobile on a big uh, statue? That's the best part of the movie, to be honest. Much like Mister Sinister is on the cover of this issue. <laughs> I mean, it kind of looks, it kind of resembles either Batman Forever or Batman and Robin. I don't know why. It's not a good cover. I mean, no, as it's, far it's as uh, as far as I'm considered, this is like one of the weakest. But I, I think maybe it's because the the colors are uninteresting. Do you think when they filmed all of that weird driving stuff for Gotham City in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin? Do you think that was CGI or do you think that was models? No. Hmm. I don't know. Um, I was going to say CGI, but models is, is is just as a good as a, of an idea. I mean, you're talking about like tiny cars. I, that might make more sense, actually. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that is around the time of early CGI. It's after Terminator 2 and the Abyss, the forefathers of CGI, if you will. And cars are easier to do in CGI and always have been. Right. And there's something, there's a, there's a look about all of those statues and, and crazy roads that they're on where it's like, is that animated? Like, it feels like it would take a long time to build that model. Not saying that they wouldn't, but anyways, those are some of my favorite scenes because they're just so ridiculous. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That whole last movie doesn't make any sense whatsoever, which is why it's the best one. Yeah, and we've had this conversation before. <laughs> uh, I tend to agree. If I would have seen that in the theaters, though, I would have been pissed. 
Well, yeah, I mean, coming off of like the last three, even even the last one was way more serious than that. Yes. Where you're coming from the Michael Keaton ones and then the uh, Bell Kilmer one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought it was ridiculous. It reminded me of Batman 60s show. Right, which is exactly what they were trying not to do with Batman 89. Yeah. Foolish. But anyways, um, yeah, Inferno, part the fourth, uh, lackluster cover. Um, meh. <laughs> Uh, this one is, we get a splash panel as we open it up of Jean, who's holding her throat. Um, was she being choked last issue? Uh, I just figured she was sad. I don't think she was being choked. However, this uh, full page spread should have been the cover. This is a way better image. Yeah, it is a great image. Um, I, I especially like the fact that... Um, uh, Silvestri drew the breasts kind of leaning in the direction that uh, Madeline has fallen. <laughs> it's extra special attention to detail. It's realism. Uh, do you think the cape and the shape of Jean Grey are supposed to be Phoenix-esque or is that just kind of like I'm just reading into something that isn't there? No, absolutely. That's absolutely okay. got to be a Phoenix thing going on with the cape. And to be honest, I never even caught it until you just started saying what you were about to say. I was like, he's going to say something about Phoenix because it looks like a <laughs> Phoenix. You can see like the beak behind Jean Grey. The tail is under Madeline. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Jean or Madeline is dead. Ish. No, she's dead. Well, she's dead. Everybody says she's dead. Everybody says she's dead. We, we turn the page and we have everybody there saying she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, written by Chris Claremont. Mark, <clears throat> excuse me. Mark Silvestri is the penciler. Hillary Barda is the guest anchor. But gosh, I feel like Green had something to do with this first page. Maybe not, though. Uh, Joe Rosen's the letter. Glynis Oliver is the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is the editor in chief. I would say that Hillary Barda is on par with Dan Green because there are very Dan Green-esque or, or, or very Sylvestrian Green moments throughout this issue that are very, uh, I don't know, the same, similar. I would say that there are moments, but I would say that the whole book is not on par with Sylvestrian Green. I think sometimes it's even better. Mm, wow. Bold words, I know. I guess so. But everybody's kind of uh, reeling from the after effects of Inferno. The city is back to normal. Um, some of the X-Men, I don't remember who, uh, looks like Colossus uh, is saying, why have the X-Men not returned wholly to ourselves? Which doesn't really pay off. No, they kind of talked about it in the last issue where someone said, maybe because we're partially demons or something like that i forget what it was i think it was rogue and she said maybe it's because it reflects who we are as people or something like that oh we should also mention and i i missed this too i've never read this caption before this is the 25th anniversary issue of the uncanny x-men and the 150th issue of the new x-men kept feeling like this one was double-sized because of that but it, i don't think it is it's not it should have been but it's not it felt like it was. Do you think it's a, a coincidence <laughs> that X-Men and X-Factor ended up in this issue? Do you think the whole thing was planned out? Like Chris Claremont's like, we're getting to my 150th issue of the new X-Men. I think we should have a team up. Probably. Or do you think it was just luck? Like, hey, look what happened, guys. 
No, oh, come on. Final chapter of Inferno, X-Men, X-Factor, everybody's all together. I wonder if they made like a huge fanfare out of this in the pages of Marvel Age. That's a great, great, great question that I don't have an answer to. That's okay. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Gray are here. They're still in a towel. Yeah. Uh, Iceman, Iceman tells them not to worry. Yeah. He's going to find him some clothes. Cyclops is all sad. He wants to know if there was another way. Why did she have to kill herself? Uh, Longshot is very sad. Rogue's trying to comfort him and say, uh, it was a demon that made you and Dazzler and Havoc turn against us. You're going to be okay. Dazzler's returned back to normal, though. She's like holding on to the kid. She's like, oh, you're so cute. Look at you, you little kid. <laughs> you're so kid-like. <laughs> hey, Cyclops, want to hold your kid? No, I'm sad. I should have saved her. Havoc's burying his hands or his head in his hands. And all of a sudden, Gene freaks out, screams no, and casts a psychic bubble or a telepathic bubble or globe around her, keeping everybody Force out. Globe. According to according to Cyclops, he shouts, Force Globe! <laughs> and and of course, all of the X-Men are like, oh my gosh, it's a force globe? Whoa. I read about these in the files. Seriously, a force globe? I never thought I'd see one. <laughs> I thought these were just a legend. They can't get in. Um, so Storm asks Psylocke to mind probe her. Because they see that Jean Grey is in agony inside of her force bubble. So they, uh, they, 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 they have previously established from the last issue a telepathic rapport. Was it the last issue of X-Men or X-Factor, I wonder? At any rate, uh, and they all go, uh, well, not everybody, but Psylocke, Storm, Cyclops, and Wolverine, I guess the four nearest X-Men, uh, go inside of Jean Grey's head. Yeah, and they end up on the blue area of the moon where the original they Phoenix died. Remember that? I do. It was a while ago. So this is where I'm like, oh, 150th issue. Okay, I get it. Yeah, uh, I, I did not. We're revisiting stuff. Totally, absolutely. Well, and the past, the, the issue of X Factor we just read said it all goes back to X-Men number one, which I disagree with. Yeah, it did say that, didn't it? Mm -hmm. I where was, did that come from? Yeah, I don't know. I was kind of expecting like, well, I mean, there's elements of old X-Men, but there's not like, here was X-Men number one stuff. And what you didn't see before Gene arrived at the mansion was this man collecting a cell sample. That would have been kind of neat. Maybe they they just meant it all goes back to X-Men number one because this is the 150th issuers no i guess that doesn't even make any no, sense because this is the 25th anniversary I, I don't know i'm i'm stretching here yeah i mean it feels like uh yeah it feels like they would have tried to tie something into x-men number one um but there's really not much to tie into x-men number one so it feels like it was unnecessary to say that like it turns out that it wasn't professor x who said to me my x-men it was mr sinister oh my god what a twist <laughs> Um, yeah, so we get to see Gene get blasted by that space gun again, and the Phoenix Force, like, zaps off the moon. It didn't actually die, it just heads towards Earth. And, uh, Scott's kind of freaking out because he's like, hey, but these aren't Gene's memories. Why are these happening inside of Gene's head? It makes no sense. Gene wasn't there. How could she know all this? And then a hand 
smashes through into the space. Like, I guess space turns into glass and we get the best sound effect ever. Shadam. 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 <laughs> hey, that rhymes with your name. What? <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Wow. Nobody knows who this is because I guess X-Men and X-Factor haven't seen Mr. Sinister yet. Who the devil is that? Uh, Storm, my friend Silex says this entity is destroying the memories. Even if the body lives, the mind subconscious will be completely obliterated. So it seems as though Mr. Sinister's plan is to destroy memories? So the first memory he destroys is the memory of Phoenix leaving Jean's body, I guess? Hmm... Or, or going towards Gene's body? I'm not really sure what memory this is. Well, so in the last issue of X-Factor, we learned that the Phoenix, after this, I guess, called out and, and went to the cocoon, but Gene rejected it. And then a portion of the Phoenix Force found Madeline, which woke her up. How much of the memory is destroyed, though? I mean, does this include the part where Phoenix sacrifices herself? I guess. Because that we actually see. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, Shout him. Yeah, we don't find, we'll find out in three panels here, but the memories of Phoenix, well, may, I'm sorry, the, the memories of Madeline and Jean have been cybonded. So everything that was Madeline is now Jean. And presumably that Phoenix portion thing that was there at the end of yeah. the last issue too. So the question is, does that include the original Phoenix? I guess. I'm I we'll have to wait to see what comes out of this, but yeah. that's what it's from reading this issue, that's what it seems like. Yeah. Okay. So they head back to Earth and they see various poorly drawn memories. Uh these are Madeline's memories. We see an airplane, we see an astir, we see I don't know, an explosion off in the distance. I don't know what that is on that second Remember panel. It? Remember that time there was an explosion? Oh, yeah, I remember that. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, totally. Sinister uh, can destroy that one. <laughs> how'd that monster gain access? And Psylocke, even though Jean's lost her telepathic power, she's far from helpless. She's got size shields. I don't know. Psychobabble. Technobabble. This whole first third of the issue is really boring, by the way. <laughs> she still possesses like the size shield she built with Professor Xavier in issue number one. Why aren't they protecting her? That didn't happen says. in issue number one. <laughs> it was it was out, it was in the back, like in between the panels. Ah, gotcha. It all happened in between the panels in issue number one. So we fly through Jean or Madeline and Cyclops's wedding. We fly through, I guess, their honeymoon, or maybe when she proposed, got proposed to. Probably honeymoon. It appears, Cyclops, as though you and the lady had your moments. So it's Madeline in, claimed that none of that was real. She kept referring to herself as a brood mare for a man named Sinister. What the heck made me so special? Perhaps not you alone, Cyclops, but you and Madeline. I have no idea what she's talking about here. I mean, is she basically just recapping the last couple of issues? It really seems like um, Louise Simonson and Chris Claremont had a passing conversation about how they were going to do their books. Um, so Chris Claremont hedging his bets just decided to recap the whole thing. 
You have all remarked on her uncanny resemblance to Jean Grey. Now that I have met the woman, I understand why. But has anyone considered that resemblance may be more than skin deep? Duh. You don't know the half of it, says Cyclops. So does Cyclops know? I, I guess I guess uh, Psylocke is just saying stuff that uh, everybody already knows, which is dumb. So, yeah. Two... Unless it's your first issue, in which case you're still lost. Like, what is happening here? <laughs> A lot more memory shards up ahead. We see Phoenix. We see the professor kind of in plain clothes. I believe we're seeing Cyclops and Gene on the butt because he doesn't have his goggles on. Oh, okay. We, we see a juggernaut and we see a seagull. Incredible. The line of demarcation is Professor Xavier's school from gifted youngsters from X-Men number one. We see, we see Magneto and we see Beast for some reason. Blue Beast. Though technically, Jean Grey would have not... Wait. No, she met Blue Beast in X-Factor number one. But that, that would only be her, her only knowledge of Blue Beast. No. No... Does he go, he goes blue before, so presumably they hung out before like the space mission when she became Phoenix. Okay. I just don't know what the importance of, see, I feel like these memory shards should be like more significant uh, memories. Like one of the memory shards is Phoenix. So why would Jean Grey remember that? That's fine. That adds to the mystery. But why is she also uh, remembering Juggernaut, Magneto, Beast? and And a random bird. A, a random bird and the professor in plain clothes. <laughs> like the the professor picture should be like him in his wheelchair. That would make sense. Magneto more or less makes sense. The one of Beast doesn't make much sense. Juggernaut doesn't make much sense. The only one that really makes the most amount of sense is her and Scott without his goggles. And the Xavier's mansion from issue number one. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that's when Madeline shows up and she's... She, she, shoots all of the X-Men out of the sky. The X-Men worry that she somehow managed to take over Jean's mind. Well, Fouch, says somebody. <laughs> Do you think he was trying to swear? Well, uh, for, <laughs> well, oh, you think, you think so? <laughs> Maybe. But, in, but instead it all got munged up when he hit the ground. Well, Fouch. I don't know what Wolf is supposed to be. I know what Ouch is, but maybe you're right. Maybe he was supposed. To, I don't. It seems like a weird response to to ah well fudge. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Wolverine says that the environment may be psychic, but everybody still feels pain. And Jean is now in her not X Men number one outfit. She's in like an X Men number twenty five outfit. She's she's getting back. <laughs> And she says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's Jean, as she was when Professor Xavier founded the X-Men back in issue one. Actually, to be honest, the first panel here, like if if she was a little closer in the frame, could be her original outfit where it covered her head. But the second frame, the second panel here, the the last panel on the the page is her um, all new X-Men outfits issue where she has like the little spiky cowl thing. Well, her outfit fluctuates in this issue, so let's just pretend in that first panel it is from issue one. Sure, I, we can do that. Um, yeah, and her, her her mind's in rebellion against her, she says. And Psylocke, can you bring Rogue in here with us? Because maybe Rogue's ability to absorb uh, individual psyches might help here. And that's when Psylocke realizes that. 
not only can she not bring Rogue in, she also can't leave. There, she's being, some force is blocking me, she says. And that's when a gigantic Mr. Sinister, who I suppose they all still don't know who it is, smashes the Madeline Plane memory with a Shakao, no longer a Shatam. It's very disappointing. And Gene says, Scott, that memory, it's gone. And then Scott says, well, that wasn't really one of yours anyway, so. If that entity is not stopped, my friends, he will quickly do the same to Gene's memories. So that was a Madeline memory that Gene, old Gene, from old X-Men issues, remembered that she can no longer remember. So far, he's destroyed a Phoenix memory and a Madeline memory. And I'm okay with this. I mean, it it seems weird and out of context, but I'm fine with all this. As far as I'm concerned, you can get rid of all the Phoenix memories and the Madeline memories. It's a good way to clean the slate. Yeah, sure. Uh, Storm tries to use some of her powers against Mr. Sinister, but he's like, this is a psychic environment. You can't use weather powers on me. Scaracoon goes her sound effect. Um, And then Mr. Sinister goes to eat her. I'm going to uh, absorb you, consume your essence, and I will reshape you in my psychic image but then Betsy stops her and says, taking victory for granted. Oh, 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 taking. Oh, I can't do a Mrs. Doubtfire right now. I can't even think of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the plan is if 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 he eats Storm, her psychic image is wiped clean and she is just she's a person, but she all of herself is gone. And that's what she's going to do. That's what he's going to do with Jean after he does this to Storm. But, as you say, Psylocke interferes and uses some uh, telepathic powers to, I don't know, knock him off guard. Storm goes Psychic falling. blast! Pew, pew! <coughs> Psylocke's checked him, but I don't know for how long, and there's Zippo we can do. We don't even know what the devil we're up against, and that's when we get a classic Madeline pose in her uh, flying jumpsuit. Brute calls himself Mr. Sinister. His hobby's cloning redheads. I don't know why I'm speaking in my rogue voice. Apt choice of words, lover, calling him a devil. My very own when I first met him. Uh, Because that's what she said. Can you do anything to help us, Cyclops? And she says, and then she turns into uh, later period Jean Grey with the green outfit and the yellow cowl thing. Cowl thing. Why should I? If I do nothing, I get, I, I win. I get my revenge. I'm already dead, remember? Sinister's just administering his own special coup de grace. This way, I get to take some of the people that I hate most in all creation. No, I don't. Oh, Gene goes on to say, not a bad bargain, don't you think? And that's when Cyclops says, no, I don't. But he says he can't. He won't. I won't let you. What about your son, says Wolverine, grabbing her by the shoulders. He'll be an orphan at Sinister's mercy. You think you got gypped out of a decent chance? Well, that's life. You break my heart, lady. You're, you've you had blessings. I'd give my soul for And you and Dark Phoenix have done things I'd give the same soul to prevent. You say nothing of your own, but hate well. Whose choice was that? It didn't have to be. It still doesn't. Meh. <laughs> Marvel girl. Or Madeline, I guess. She says, you still don't understand. You may be as God made you. I had a different creator. I think it's still Madeline. Madeline dressed as Jean in green costume. Right. Yeah. 
uh, cheapest of excuses. Now it's Storm's turn to grab Jean by the shoulders or Madeline by the shoulders. There's a lot of shoulder grabbing in this issue. And this is when Jean converts back to her, uh, I guess this is like... X-Factor. X-Factor... Number one. Number one? Yeah. When her whole head is covered and just her hair is sticking out the back. I don't I never liked this costume. So there's a progression of costumes. So it's fair to say that maybe in that first panel it was... It was the costume from X-Men number one. Sure. It all goes back to number one, Jeremy. The costumes all go back to X-Men number one. I guess they made good on their promise. Yay. It's a little little bit of a letdown, but oh well. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're going to try to expunge her. Yeah, it's, it's still Madeline. They're not able to convince her, and uh, uh, Sinister is able to overcome Psylocke. Uh, she Wolverine consoles her says you did fine darling Wolverine I failed doesn't matter you did your best game's out of our hands now game's out of our hands now which is good good Wolverine good on Wolverine being that guy Sinister calls out and says um, that yep you're right you did fail by clinging to what you had pathways to damnation let me break the terrible cycle. Yield to my obliviation. Let me strip obliv- oblivion. Let me strip you of memories and identity uh, that have caused you nothing but anguish. Start anew. Be born again in the best sense of the word. And with an evil smile, she says, no, you lose, Sinister. She turns into Phoenix. She flies off the planet. She turns into modern Marvel girl. And she says, this mind... My soul, my life, and I mean to keep them myself. And I guess we flash into reality where Mr. Sinister is sitting on a chair and everything around him is just blown away. Which is cool, because I was wondering through this whole thing, is like Mr. Sinister really there? And I guess he was. He was telepathically... Well, yeah, but I think he was telepathically involved in this whole whatever adventure we just had but he is physically as we'll find out here just uh, a second he's physically at the mansion right right and so is lorna dane and she says uh rough time sweetie what i don't get is what sinister's ultimate plan was like what what is he trying to convince madeline slash gene gray of here to start anew and be born again in the best sense of the world isn't that i don't know isn't that what she doesn't want I think he wanted to, I don't know, somehow he trapped her into the psychic environment using Madeline's dead body, and he was going to strip away all of her memories so that she was a blank slate, and then she had, he had the original Jean Grey, which is what he wanted from the very get-go, to do with as he pleased. But what does breaking the cycle of what he's clinging, of what she's clinging to do for him, like... I guess I don't understand what she comes out of. Is is she basically? I think this whole thing was just to like weaken her, her resolve, her, her psyche. So that by the time this happens, she's like, yes, yes, you're right. Cleanse me. But instead she says, no, you lose is mine. I don't know, Adam. It's a stretch. Yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. The best I can come up with was that he wanted her to be, he wanted a mind wiper and he's not Professor Xavier. So he has to do it the hard way. And I just, I I wish it made more sense. I feel like half of this comic is a filler. 
I, 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 I agree with you and all the stuff that you're saying about what he wanted. I just, it's not very clear in what this comic presents. And I guess, I guess maybe you're right. It's got some sort of a filler vibe to it. We're, we're 13 of 26 pages in and, and the bulk of that first story makes no sense. It's very confusing. Well, I mean, it's, it is a filler and it's also not. I mean, we get these kind of Jean Greys through the years, which is interesting. And I don't know. I, I just think that last couple of that last couple of pages kind of, I don't know, you didn't you didn't really need it. It just made things more confusing than it needed to. Yeah. At any rate. So <clears throat> Mr. Sinister is in the mansion. It is ruined. Lorna Dane is uh, kind of mocking Mr. Sinister because things aren't going according to his plan. Alert the others, Belarus. We are shortly to have company. And that's when, well, Angel is flying Cyclops, Jean is flying herself, and Storm and Wolverine land at the mansion. Psylocke is, uh, I guess, flew in with Rogue earlier, because they're also there. Yep. Are you sure this is the place? This is Sinister's location? Says Jean. Professor Xavier's school, says Wolverine. Man has brass taken over our place. This reminds me of issue one. <laughs> Remember when the professor took over the place? Yeah. Uh, Gene is not amused by any of this. Suppose he allowed you to scan him and lead us into a trap, says Cyclops, but no one answers. Yeah, Silex says that there's no hostile thought patterns. They're either superbly hidden or no one's here. So they're going to pass the word. To which they, they do. They drop in through Storm's attic. All the plants are gone, which Storm comments is a good thing. At least my flowers have been removed to safety. They will not be endangered. We had two pages of them talking about the plants. <laughs> well, not two um, pages, two panels talking about the plants. Cyclops says, surely Storm, you can't intend on continuing to deceive the world about the X-Men being dead after this. She doesn't respond. Nope. Nor does she respond even at like at the end of the issue. Remember the thing you were talking about, Scott? Just, just yeah, yeah, no, no, just I'm just gonna uh, ignore you said that. Wolverine's cowl and Storm's hair are still demonized, um, but sometimes they're not. Yeah, they're definitely going back and forth. I very much like this Wolverine kind of prowling around in Storm's attic, even yeah, though it's it, cool. It doesn't really jive with the rest of the issue, but. Oh, whatever. And Storm definitely has kind of her evil hair and costume. There's a little, kind of an internal debate between Jean and Cyclops about uh, killing Mr. Sinister. Jean wants basically to kill him, although she can't actually say it, but Jean, uh, Scott, does, Scott does not approve. Sinister created life, Scott, and it was nothing to him. He simply didn't care. Yeah. I don't even think I understood the true meaning of evil before... We use that word so casually, devaluing it. But Sinister is evil. I know that in the depths of my soul. Nothing matters as long as he remains free. <laughs> Sinister has to be stopped. Storm, she means... Yes, Scott, I know. She's acting more like Wolverine than Wolverine. This one's my friend with good reason. Oh, my. <laughs> um, Psy Psylocke and Rogue make their way down to the Morlock Tunnels. Or actually to the hangar complex. There's an, there's an ominous pair of eyes in the tunnels, but we never find out whose eyes they are. 
I think they're saber tooths, but I think so too because they're kind of cat like. Yeah. But man, they're weird looking for saber tooths. <laughs> yep, it looks like the computer console has like yellow eyes. He's like like if 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 this is a shadow with just some yellow eyes, he's like right up with his face up to the panel. So they're not in the Morlock tunnels. They're in like a, a Jeffrey's tube heading towards the hangar. And Rogue says something like, watch yourself, Psylocke here. I'm super strong and pretty near invulnerable. You ain't like you didn't know that. I'm just going to keep bragging about it. Well, you know, that's what Rogue does. Changes Inferno made to your armor may be more than cosmetic. Outfit may not be as tough as it used to be. Was that a thing? Uh, the, the, the outfit was tough? Yeah. Well, I don't know. There is a there there is there is a topic that I was going to bring up in this issue's this month this week's issue of Wolverine. I don't know, maybe this directly relates to that. Well, but uh, Ne- never the uh, never minding for for now anyways the origin of the armor was there ever a point in inferno where the armor was made stronger that you can recall because i certainly cannot um well i was getting the impression that she was saying that it used to be stronger before inferno and now it's less strong not that it was made stronger what well, says changes inferno made to your armor may be more in cosmetic yeah it made it, it made it weaker hmm but I mean, again, it's just like whatever. Okay. It, it doesn't. It doesn't play out either way. It does not. It's just like why? Why are you saying this if there's no payoff? Yeah, maybe there will be a payoff in a couple issues. Maybe. No, don't know. I can take care of myself, Rogue. Just leave the rough stuff to me, Sugar. That's all I'm saying. So we flash over to ship. Um, the greys are there. They're wearing cute X-Factor costumes and holding on to the baby. And Beast's like, you ain't mutant. You can't come on the ship. But ship will make you something on the hangar. Why doesn't the baby have an X-Factor onesie? I don't know. Seems like a missed it's, opportunity. Exactly. Ship is like, um, Beast, how many of there are you? I sense four life scans and a vague ghost immediately to your left. My fault. Sorry. We X-Men were sort of invisible to the sensors. Ha! Says Longshot. <laughs> it's a neat trick uh, that that Beast doesn't, like, like, really? Scientifically, this is incredible. How is this possible? What happened? Tell me more. I'm a scientist. He's busy. He's got to get back to the X-Mansion with all the rest of the team. Longshot's debating whether or not he wants to go. Well, um, well and Beast, like, okay, uh... Um, with all due respect, young man, suppose the worst dot, dot, dot happens is what she's going to say. And B says, well, if you feel more comfortable, long shot here, who I just met, <laughs> he can stay with you. I can speak on his behalf. And even long shots like, why me? Ha. Huh? <laughs> it's your ship beast. Wouldn't it feel happier with you here? My place is with my team, kiddo. Those well, mine as well. That's the question, isn't it? I'm afraid, Beast. (laughs) The demon uh, Nastir tore away my humanity. I'm not human, by the way, but he tore away my humanity. He made my luck something wicked and made me like it. Enjoy using it to hurt people. Suppose I'm still the nasty man he made me. What if I betrayed the X-Men? Or worse. Well, we don't answer that question. Instead, we cut to the 40 miles of tunnel between the uh, underneath the X-Mansion and I guess leading to the Morlock Tunnels. Yeah, this is Colossus, Iceman, Havoc, and Dazzler, and they are in the Morlock Tunnels. 
searching for the uh, marauders. We've covered nearly the whole 40 miles, guys, without a problem, says Dazzler. How long have they... I mean, I can probably walk 20 miles. Uh, how long do you think it would take me to walk 20 miles? An hour? It wouldn't take very a very short amount of time. So that's for sure. That, that's, that's walking like five miles and no. They're all walking too. I mean, there's not even like Iceman doesn't have his ice slides out. I feel like, I feel like, well, no, hmm. If I can walk seven miles per hour, does that sound right? Uh, seven miles per hour. No, you could walk way more than seven miles in an hour. I can't walk 20 miles in an hour. That's, that's running. That's like, that's a, that's a really good sprint. 20 miles an hour. Yeah. That'd be like a crazy fast sprint. So uh, let's let's say you could walk. Well, they're probably sprinting. I, I can, mean, they're probably they're probably fast walking on the treadmill. Yes, they're probably fast walking. But on the treadmill, kind of like a comfortable yet kind of working a little bit of sweat out is maybe six and a half miles per hour. These guys are in shape though, so they're doing like they're doing like a twenty minute mile. Walking or running? They nobody no. can walk twenty miles an hour. They're they're walking quickly. I'm gonna give them eight miles an hour is what they they're can in, walk. They're in, they're in good shape. Walking eight miles an hour is like like you're just that's like Olympic speed walking at that point. So that's two hours, two and a half hours, uh, to 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 walk twenty. So five hours to to walk forty miles. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe they walked from Manhattan and they're like, all right, you flyers will, will, well, I mean, we'll be along. Don't wait up. Maybe stop at a Chili's on your way. Get us some takeout. Cause it's going to take us five hours to get there. Maybe they just got off the uh, skiff chair that took them to this portion of the thing. And we just didn't see it. Oh, so they covered into the line guys. Yep. 40 miles on a skiff minutes later. What, didn't the Morlocks have a train that they could drive? I, th- I feel like at one point the Morlocks had a train that they drove back and forth. I don't remember. Um, I, f- I feel like maybe off panel there is some sort of uh, sled or skiff car or something. And, and somebody says, end of the line. And that's when Dazzler says, well, we covered the 40 miles. Okay. I got that. Uh, some <laughs> Only dude- took us two minutes. <laughs> some dude jumps out and says, Yo, Ruski, remember my name? And he punches Colossus and says, it's Blockbuster. And it's a huge Blockbuster. And I, I think if you look at it, this at the right angle, his head and his mouth kind of looks like an alien. Yeah, from, I guess so. From the movie Aliens. If you just ignore his eyes and his nose. Kind yeah, of, I see it. Kind of looks alien-esque. It's kind of uh, long and teethy. Yeah. Uh, Alex says, must be Inferno. Everyone's now calling this event Inferno with quotes. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever transform him didn't wear off when the prime spell was broken. Just like with us, says Dazzler. Right. Because apparently the X-Men are still altered, question mark. Yeah. Okay. Better put him on ice before he does any damage, says Iceman, and then covers Blockbuster in ice, which he one panel later breaks out of. Classic Claremont. (laughs) Uh, Classic Iceman, just like in issue one. I don't recall specifically, but I bet you Iceman wrapped Magneto in ice and uh, Magneto broke out of it immediately. Was he shooting ice back then or was it just snow? It, It was snow. So he wasn't, I don't think he was making ice blocks in issue number one. Darn. 
Mm, oh well. Uh, Blockbuster really loves Dazzler's light show. Um, she says that the solid light is so strong it smash a tank, but she's having no effect. And yeah, it, and I, I have no idea. I have no understanding of Dazzler's powers. No, now she has, well, photon blasts and solid light. Yeah. That she can shoot from her gun-like fingertips. Dazzle blast! Pew, 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 pew! Uh, in an awesome panel, Blockbuster turns into just some crazy freak. He's like 6,000 times larger all of a sudden. His mouth is as the size of Dazzler. Like, it looks like he is grabbing Dazzler to eat Dazzler. This looks like uh, a movie poster, like Jaws or something. Totally, yeah. Just get rid of that hand. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, he, he says that, uh, you sing sweet for me, gal, or I'll make you scream. Gonna have me some fun, cutie pie. And he gets zracked in the face by Alex with his Havoc powers. And he's, he's Havoc, you did what was necessary, Dazzler, to save your lives. But I thought you never, always so afraid of your power. I've changed. Back at the hangar bay, um, Sabretooth jumps out at Rogue and Psylocke. And Psylocke stops him by doing the exact same thing that she did before, getting in his brain and knocking him unconscious. Yeah. Which you learn, Sabretooth, come on. We got two pages of Blockbuster who nobody cares about, and we only got like <laughs> a page of Sabretooth, who everybody loves. Yeah. Maybe everybody didn't love Sabretooth at this point. Oh, you think he's still coming off of his like corny villain from like Power Man days? And maybe back in the day, everybody loved Blockbuster. They were like, oh, man, you got to feature more of that Blockbuster guy. Remember that Blockbuster issue? Man, that was that was Blockbuster-y. <laughs> Radical, bodacious. <laughs> Rogue says that she wanted the pleasure of taking out Sabretooth. Um, Hardly a ladylike reaction. Ain't no lady, sugar. If you're so bound and determined, Rogue, next time he's all yours. And she says, question mark, question mark, question mark. I'm not sure why. Like, yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> what, what is like, is this out of character? Or are we supposed to be like, ooh, Cyclops acting different? Not Cyclops. Rogue. Or Psylocke. Or Psylocke. Either one of them. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I didn't get it. So the rest of the X-Men, Cyclops, Storm, Angel, and Wolverine head up to a different attic, the other wings attic. They hear Jean Grey cry out. So they they rush up to where she is, and it's it's the the other wings attic that they used for storage. So Cyclops. Possibly keep all the files, I don't know. <laughs> and Storm says... We also, during our tenure, so both teams of X-Men have used this wing's attic for storage. Of course you did. It was the professor's house. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) They get up there and Cyclops says, she doesn't look hurt. Thank heaven. What a mess. Gino, are you all right? No, he's been through everything. In this attic are rooms, the professor's office. Every nook, every cranny, every personal private moment of our lives. Simply to smash it all? Is Sinister that petty, says Angel, looking 
kind of sad. Wolverine holds up a picture of him and Mariko and says, this wasn't wanton destruction, flyboy. Just residue of a thorough search made by somebody who didn't figure he needed to be neat. He's looking Makes for something. Makes sense that Cyclops, to defeat your enemy, you have to know him. How he lives gives you insight into how he thinks. It tells you where he may or may not be vulnerable. It gives you the edge. Allows you to dominate the field and spring the surprises. Do you think Chris Claremont just finished reading The Art of War and he's like, ooh, this is good stuff? Probably. I'm sure a lot of that happens. <laughs> <laughs> to blazes with that. It's our home, Scott. How dare he? And she... Does she do something? No, Polaris does something. There's a big Shazam in the middle of the oh, floor. Yeah, okay. And uh, Polaris says, Sinister makes his own rules, babes. And does as he please, and she bursts through this uh, the roof, I guess. Mm-hmm. So do I. Polaris says Storm. What? But she's an X Men. Why is she attacking us? Says Cyclops. And Wolverine says, "Yep, Malice took her over. Psychic Marauder. Bloody bloody blah." Hardly as cut and dry as all that, Wolvie. What I did was bring out the true Malice in Lorna Dane's soul and help her become the woman she's always secretly yearned to be. Hey, honey. Hey, honey. Let's just find out how strong that supposedly unbreakable skeleton of yours really is. I'm not sure what happens. I guess she hurls a whole bunch of the stuff at him. Oh, and then Cyclops says, hey, honey, let's not. And he deflects all the the stuff from hitting Wolverine. Most of it, anyways. Uh, The irony here is that she controls metal powers and Wolverine's skeleton is laced with metal and she's hurling cardboard boxes at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just toss him out the roof. Yeah. It doesn't really make any sense. Or as Nito, I believe has done in the past. Yeah. Or she could use her uh, magnetic control to like rip him apart. Well, you know, not, not for a couple more years. Yeah. They're not ready to do that yet. Yeah. They still think that there's a comics code protecting the characters from all that stuff. I don't know what it is. Maybe they just didn't have the idea yet. Sure. That could be. They haven't. They haven't really figured out all the rules on Wolverine's skeleton at this point. Uh, so Wolverine slashes a bunch of the filing files, papers that are coming at him, but more are coming at him. I'm wondering if maybe some of this was like a metal filing cabinet because I mean it has to be metal because uh, there she doesn't throw cardboard around. Yeah, nice moves, Bunkies. So she's also been calling everybody Bunky in this issue. Yeah, that's her thing. I think she called <laughs> Sinister Bunky, and she's calling the team here Bunkies. Did she call Sinister Bunky? I thought so. <laughs> uh, maybe funny. not. I don't remember. That's funny. Quite the opposite. In fact, my magnetic power controls the shrapnel as easily as the original mass. I'll simply have them fl- fillet the flesh from your bow. Oh! Not while I'm around, Polaris! Uh, says Jean Grey, who is using her powers to do something that we don't really see. I guess she puts a shield in front of Wolverine. Sure. Telekinetic shield blocks all the stuff. Storm grabs Polaris by the scruff of the neck and slams her on the ground and says, Young woman, we have had quite enough of you and your master. I love this panel where Storm grabs Polaris by the scruff of her neck. Mm-hmm. It's, it reminds me of like the gorilla's guy, Jamie Hewlett. I don't know. You know the gorillas. Yeah. It looks like that kind of artwork. Oh, it does. I guess, yeah, I can see that. Uh, And, ooh, I like it rough. You got me, butch. But what are you going to do with me? 
I'm <laughs> can't do anything can't to the marauder without you. Yeah, can't do anything to the marauder malice. The no, can't do anything to the marauder malice without harming your precious Polaris. If there is a way to separate the two of you, then we shall find it. If not, dot dot dot. You're serious, Storm. You can't. Um, apparently in the meantime, they've searched the entire estate aside from these three marauders. There's not a sign of sinister or anybody else. Wolverine's chilling on the couch as he does. Psylocke, we require a full range telepathic probe of Polaris's mind. Free her if you can, but of paramount important is that we discover everything she knows about Mr. Sinister. You don't understand. The bond's unbreakable. We're not two beings anymore. We've become a gestalt. We're one. What are you? What you're talking about will kill me. It is you who do not understand, Marauder. That does not matter. Even Jean's like, doesn't have to be this way, Polaris. Save yourself. Help us. Alex, for mercy's sake, don't let them do this. For all we were, for all we might be again. Please, Havoc, I love you. Then prove it, Havoc says. Talk. And, and then the Xavier's mansion explodes. Boom. Polaris, everybody is knocked out. I mean, I guess the, the only people we see knocked out are Havoc, Rogue, and then I don't know who the two people in the background. I'm assuming one of them Cyclops. Cyclops and Storm, maybe? Maybe. Whoever it is has boots and like a bikini. So I guess it could oh, be Oh, that's Storm. bikini boots. Oh, bikini boots. I remember that character. You could have warned me, says Polaris. And Sinister's like, it's all good. <laughs> I could have been killed, but you weren't. Don't use me as bait. I'll use you as I do anyone for my own men's. And he tosses around a, a rock. Uh, and underneath the rock is Jean Grey, and he picks her up by the, again, the scruff of her neck and says, Jean Grey alive. What matter that I've lost the replicant now that I have the original to play with? Hate, here, here it is. Hate to burst your bubble, Bunky, <laughs> but I doubt the heroes are going to be too thrilled about you heisting their favorite redhead. No problem. They're all here. X-Men and X-Factor both all helpless. Kill them. Only if you kill me first. Ah, says Longshot. So one would presume that Beast is also here. <laughs> we haven't seen him yet. Or Longshot convinced Beast to stay home with the Greys. <laughs> well, spoilers. Beast is unconscious on the first page of the next issue of X-Factor. Oh, Longshot, is it your wish? X-Men is our command. Polaris says, and our pleasure. The whole story is concluded in X-Factor number 39, called Dust to Dust. Except that X-Factor number 35 is actually, 39 is actually called Ashes to Ashes, and X-Factor 40 is called Dust to Dust. Boy, guys, get your act together. So when I was reading and collecting X-Men and X-Factor and, and picking up more or less all of the X-related Inferno issues... Um, I never read issue number 39 of X-Factor. Oh, wow. So I got to this point and I was like, what happens? And then you go to the next issue and it's, as the little tagline says, uh, completely different. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It says ladies night. And there's really like no mention of like, oh, remember all that stuff we did to save Longshot and the rest of the X-Men? It just like starts with a whole new story. It's done been resolved. Yep. So I eventually read issue 39 when I read all of the Inferno issues. But 
Uh, I've read all of these other issues like dozens of times and only read that one once. So I, I actually don't remember how all of this resolves itself. Young Jeremy was like, man, comics don't make sense. No, I, I mean, I, I knew like I, I need to find this issue. But by the time I had like this and I had read it, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't couldn't just go on the Internet and get stuff. You had to like go to a store. But it was probably summertime and I was probably in a place that didn't have a comic book shop. So I was probably going to gas stations, like looking at the racks to see if I could find the X Factor issue. and Probably just couldn't find it. It was tough times back then. Sounds like it, man. Yeah. I'm surprised you just didn't give up and go crawl into a corner and cry. Uh, oh, there was lots of crying. Okay. As long as there was crying. So much crying. Um, yeah. So there you go. Uh, no, no communication this time around, which is okay. Uh, but if you'd like to get in contact with us and let us know how you feel about this whole very long Inferno storyline. Still not over. Like, I feel like we've been doing it for a while. It feels like, yeah. <laughs> it feels like we've been doing it since the beginning of this year, but I could be wrong. Holy moly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so chime in, www.xmenpodcast.com. Go out to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go. You can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com, or you can go out to iTunes and subscribe to us, uh, leave us a review, leave us some stars. Or you can call us, 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501 501- Four three eight nine six three six, or head out to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash danger room, where you can become a patron or get all of our episodes there as well. Oh, ho. yeah. Oh, and our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. But we're not done yet. No, sir. We're just getting started or we, we're winding up. I don't know. We are winding down, winding up, down, winding around. <laughs> I've been winding around. Uh, you, um, you can stop. I'll start. I'll, I'll start with Wolverine number six, please. You want to hear about Wolverine number six? Yes. It was another fun issue. Uh, the premise of the issue is basically um, Tiger Tiger and Lindsay McCabe and Jessica Drew have all been kidnapped by Bloodsport and Roughhouse, and they are staying at the evil prince's house. So Wolverine and uh, Karma separately sneak in to uh, rescue them, and they end up teaming up together. Uh, there is a big fight between Wolverine and uh, the, the the big guy, Roughhouse, which Wolverine keeps popping his claws, but carefully making sure not to pop his claws every time they're, uh, that he's near somebody who might recognize him as Wolverine. At this point, like... He's wearing the, 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 the outfit with the, you know, the, the face thing. Yeah. Whereas just his eyes are covered. So people know that he doesn't wear a patch, but they're still calling him patch. At this point, how do you not know he's Wolverine? People aren't paying attention. <laughs> anyway, he, he makes sure not to pop his claws in front of anybody who might understand. Um, Tiger, remember in last issue that Psylocke's armor was revealed to be a thing that Lindsay McCabe was wearing? No. Yeah. For whatever reason, they put it on Tiger Tiger. And it appears, I guess to protect her, but it appears at first is like she's unconscious or something. Um, and they show how the 
the suit of armor is impenetrable. A roughhouse can't break into it. Bloodsport can't get through it. So it's super powerful, but I guess now it's less powerful now that Inferno happened. Oh, that's weird. So I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. I guess Chris Claremont needed to cut the powers back on that thing, but he needed to amp the powers up for this issue. Huh. Okay. At any rate, um, there's a lot of fighting for the rest of the issue. There's like a giant tentacle monster in here, and um, the tiger tiger turns out to be faking it or something, or maybe she just wakes up and she's able to beat Bloodsport up because his powers are useless. Um, oh, there's something about how the uh, the armor was not made by mortals. Um, so I'm guessing that's what's her face made the. I thought I thought we determined in the last issue that Wolverine made it. Made what? The Psylocke's armor, or not not made it, but had it special ordered. Yeah, he had it commissioned by somebody. So the 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 implication in this issue is that it was made by non-human beings. Oh, like aliens. I'm thinking like um, like uh, leprechauns. Oh, that could be. That would make sense because we do know Wolverine has ties to leprechauns. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So possibly leprechauns made Psylocke's armor. Uh, the, uh, the prince shows up at the end, and that's where that's where we end with everybody. Everybody's got guns, and Roughhouse and Bloodsport are knocked out, and. Uh, Karma's uncle, her evil uncle, is uh, he's there too. Okay. This is New Mutant stuff. Yeah. Well, speaking of the New Mutants, we, yes, we also took a look at uh, Cloak and Dagger number four. Haha, <laughs> that was that was a psych. Speaking of New Mutants, Cloak and Dagger. What? I mean, what? Um, yeah, the New Mutants are in Cloak and Dagger number four. But more importantly. This is the last appearance of Crotus. Oh man, it's a it's an Inferno epilogue. So I mean, we're not done with Inferno, but we're more or less done with Inferno. Yeah. So we 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 learn as we learned last time we saw Crotus, he has the Nastir's book, and he has the computer. And I gotta wonder, is that Takashi's computer? I don't think so, because it's like uh, maybe it's just a monitor that got left over or something, because. It's a monitor and a keyboard. It looks like an old Apple IIe. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, totally. But he's also got two demon pals. I'm assuming one of them is Clytus. Remember Clytus? No. He was the uh, the other uh, demon that had talking lines in um, in the Avengers two-parter. Oh. No, he I wasn't that. I, I always felt like he actually was Crotus, and it was a mistake, but... Whatever. <laughs> so Crotus is using the book and the computer to conjure up images on his screen. So his plan is he needs to sacrifice. He needs two mutants to sacrifice themselves, cloak and dagger. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, he will bring Limbo into New York, but he'll do it right this time. Yeah. Dagger has been blinded. Uh, since issue number one, and she's kind of stumbling around the house. Crotus shows up dressed as Cloak and fools her for a little bit into thinking she's Cloak. And as Cloak, he tries to convince her that she's useless and worthless and to kill herself. Meanwhile, Cloak is trapped in a bubble in outer space, 
and the other two demons show up to uh, using, I guess, uh, shape shifting. They they are different people from Cloak's life, trying to convince him to commit suicide. Um, eventually, da- Dazzler or Dazzler <laughs> Dagger figures out that it's not Cloak. It's uh, eventually she goes and feels his face because she's like, everything you've said is wrong. You love me. What's going on? And she touches his face. And she's like, oh, geez, you're not Cloak. Well, even then, uh, she's not sure because Cloak says that he was always this kind of uh, I, I was I was a trick. I was so easy for a creature of darkness like myself to lie to one as gullible as you. So he's the implication being that he's always been a demon. He's just been disguising it. But where she figures it out is when she used her her dag- dagger blast, her light blast. I don't feel dag- comfortable with this panel where she's laying on the bed and he's climbing up on top of her. Yeah, and then he says, perhaps it's time to show you just how real I am. It's creepy. Yeah, and even her face is just like, no, just ugh. So she like uses her, her light daggers to knock him across the room, and she's like, wait, you can't be Cloak. My n- light nourishes him. You, it hurts. And I'm betting I can destroy you. And they fight across the house. He taunts her because she can't see. She's like tripping over stuff and she tracks the phone back to the using the phone cord and she makes a mental map of the apartment. Um, and eventually uh, she kills Crotus. Let's cut to the chase. She she gets really upset and she uses a massive amount of light power that turns Crotus into a pile of dust. Yeah, and the blast goes through the window. Uh, Cloak is dying. He's being uh, taunted by Dagger and his friend Rusty. Well, the the two demons. The two the demons. Disguised as them. Yeah, right. Uh, and then he, I don't know, he dies. I mean, he doesn't die, but. He kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi's. Like, he, he just disappears into his cloak and is gone. Meanwhile, we see what looks like Nanny's spaceship silhouette, but it's, it's very, not. <laughs> it's very bug-like. <clears throat> exactly, and her ship's bug-like. Warlock, if you do one more loop-de-loop, I'm gonna demolish ya, says somebody. You'll have to, I uh, boom-boom. You'll have to forgive Warlock, boom-boom. He has an unfortunate tendency to, uh, and my iPod, my iPad just flipped, <laughs> making it difficult to finish that thought balloon. Uh, yeah. To get a bit enthusiastic sometimes. Yep. <clears throat> so he's a he's a helicopter right now, a bug looking like helicopter, and they're flying around. Uh, I don't know why they're flying around. They're searching for the three demons oh, that okay. are the main demons of this story. I don't know how they got wind of them, but I guess they went out to the desert where they were initially with the computer and the uh, the book. And they've been tracking them from that desert to here. Somehow, somehow Warlock is able to track them because they get to Dagger's apartment or bedroom or wherever she is and says, Self friends, our trail ends here. Hey, lady, got any demons in there? Don't be alarmed, miss. We're the new mutants. Exterminators. No, demon busters. Whatever. We're on the trail of some dangerous creatures. And uh, she says, uh, I recognize you. Uh, I'm Dagger. But I'm blind. Hang on. I got to go get something. And she puts on her costume. <laughs> I destroyed one of the demons you're tracking. The others have cloak traps somewhere. 
and she gets she gets her costume on and everybody's like all right now you're cooking with gas and she fires a i guess it's some earlier issue she learned that if she fires a light beam she can aim it at it'll it'll follow to wherever cloak is so everybody gets in the warlock helicopter and follow the light beam into space um for some reason they need to be supercharged so boom boom uh once they leave orbit throws a rocket uh, a time bomb into the rocket mode and they go faster it's totally unnecessary i'm not sure why it's happening yeah just gives her something to do <laughs> it's a cool panel of boom boom she's like she looks all cool yahoo says warlock and they get up to cloak's bubble and and uh, dagger's like oh no cloak's dead so we got gossamer um sunspot boom boom and moonstar mirage mirage or moonstar depending on what area you want to talk from okay so that's who we've got in space uh the next page features naked women on the cover uh yes so the next issue of cloak and dagger do not does not feature new mutants i guess they drop dagger back off and go do other stuff well the new mutants must be there at the beginning no they're not how can that be isn't that weird (laughs) Oh, that's really weird. Oh, so, yeah, you're right. It just starts off, and she's like, Cloak's dead, and she's with a minister. So I guess we just skip forward. Warlock saves them, and that's it. That's weird. Yeah, they go, they go back to Earth and drop Dagger off so that she can be sad, and and then the uh, New Mutants next appear in Power Pack, so we'll, we'll catch up with them next episode. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, then you don't get to hear about the naked lady on the cover. Yeah, sorry. Well... Uh, and finally, um, Marvel Comics presents number 21, which, as I've said, I've had, uh, in my collection, one part of this story. Oh, this is it? No, not this part. Oh. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, the, the part that I have, I believe, is next issue, which I think okay. is the penultimate issue. And Well, no, no. It's, uh, oh. Next issue would be six of eight. Oh, so geez. All right. So it's the penultimate penultimate issue. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I read it a number of times. I don't know why, because I wouldn't have known what was happening or how it resolved, but I don't know. Maybe you just liked the art. Uh, I liked the fact that it had Cyclops and Master Mold, and I really liked that issue of X-Factor where Cyclops fought Master Mold. And you're a big fan of Callisto? I was super confused by what was happening with Callisto. <laughs> is she does she have a big part in the next issue i guess we should talk about this issue. i don't think she has any part of the next issue but i oh, also okay. it was a long time ago but yeah she she's here she's all like not ugly and punked out so I, scott and callisto both have the uh retribution virus now mm-hmm. uh, the, the moral of this story is that regular humans get the retribution virus and now uh, conscious is that his name? Conscience. Conscience. Or if you're young, Jeremy, conscience. <laughs> right. Shut up, conscience. <laughs> I don't know. I I I speak phonetically. So conscience. I'm just gonna go with that. Yeah, I'll man. Probably forget next week, but I like it. Uh, conscience is like, well, hey, now that humans have it, we're gonna wipe out like 90 percent of all humans. We can't do this. And Master Mold's like, eh, it's, those are acceptable losses. And that's essentially all that happens in this issue. We get some flashbacks about con science talking about um, how the Morlocks were protected, uh, X-Factor and X-Men protected the rest of mutantdom, 
I don't know. We just see some nice uh, pinups of those teams. Yeah, it's 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 all it's all good art, and uh, Conscience is very uh, chatty in this issue. Yeah, can't shut him up. At some point, he's like, "Oh, I get to tell my origin story." Yoo-hoo, that's great. I feel like this is where Rob Liefeld developed his drawing of smiles. Essentially, this is uh, this is Deadpool. Yeah, kinda. Uh, not not by looks by any means, but like character wise. Mm-hmm. So this is this a Rob Liefeld who we know drew the cover of one of these issues must have been reading this story, and uh, took took a lot of notes. He drew one of the covers, didn't he? Right, he drew one of the covers. Okay, I mean that doesn't necessarily mean he's reading the story. Well, clearly he is. <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to use that smile for everything when I get my own book. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, not much to say about Marvel Comics Presents number 20. And really, I'm this... going to take Conscience and turn him into a popular character named Deadpool. <laughs> Although I don't think Deadpool in the beginning was what he became later until Rob Liefeld left the character. Yeah, my recollection of Deadpool was he was maybe just a badass. I don't really yeah. even remember him s- s- smart talking. Yeah, I think that's all it was. So Maybe a little wacky, but definitely not breaking the fourth wall or anything like that. Does Deadpool grace the pages of New Mutants, or is he an X- X-Force creation? I believe his first appearance is in New Mutants 98 or something like that. And then he doesn't appear until X-Force number two or something like that. I have one of those. I think Hmm. I have X-Force number two. You didn't collect X-Force back in the day? I have the first maybe five, maybe let's say 10 issues of X-Force. Okay. I have all of the uh, Rob Liefeld issues, which I think were 12 to 16 issues. There's there's like a crossover with Spider Man that I think is the last one that I bought. Yeah, there's where a, they do uh, they turn the comic sideways. Yep, yep. that was neat. Uh, it's a two parter too, and I think the 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 Spider Man issue is also sideways, or is it a two parter yes. of X Force? Yes, the two parter is also uh, the Spider Man is also sideways, um, and I think the Spider Man one was like issue. 16 so the the x-force one is maybe issue four or something like i don't know Hmm. can't remember i feel like i well i could have this all wrong but i feel like they all got their comics like x-men one x-force one spider-man one i feel like they all started around the same time maybe spider-man was a couple issues earlier it sure felt like it but i i think spider-man started a little like maybe maybe a few months earlier than the X-Men or the X-Force. And the X-Force was the month before X-Men, right? Or you're, am I making that up? You're probably right, because I remember buying Spider... I was late to the game on Spider-Man, so it was very difficult for me to find a Spider-Man number one that wasn't a second printing. Oh my gosh, they were everywhere. Spider-Man 1? No. Y- you couldn't, like, walk outside without tripping over one. Yeah, you're thinking of X-Men number one. Oh, yeah. Well, that that you didn't even have to walk outside. You, they just threw one at you. But there was also the Spider-Man number one silver cover, which was like super valuable. And I, I don't think any of them are valuable anymore. No. Except for maybe like the ones that are still polybagged or, or there's probably like a, a special edition a special edition that's like crazy hard to find or something like that. I remember there was a number of Spider-Man number one editions. Like there was four or five of them. I had the silver and I had the normal yeah, and then there was a gold one, but the gold one was like a second or a third printing. 
Oh, okay. I had that one, but that one wasn't worth anything. I didn't have the silver, and the silver was worth more. Sometimes gold ones in there, the like second editions end up being more than the first editions. It's, it doesn't happen all the time, but I think I also have a gold New Mutants one hundred, as well as a first printing of New Mutants one hundred. I think I have a gold first appearance of Cable, but that's a second print. Oh, maybe I have that. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. It's New Mutants number eighty-seven, 80, eighty or something like that. Eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah, sure. That feels right to me. All right, well. There you go. What what issue of New Mutants are we currently on? 73? That's been a bit, I don't know. I think right. 73, 72 or 73. So we're getting close to like the first like big reinvention of New Mutants. Yeah. That's that's neat. We're we're uh we're getting closer to the 90s. Yeah, well, cuz I mean Excalibur takes I think a good long time before it like vastly reboots. Or I wouldn't call it reboot, but it gets retooled. X Men, X Factor, of course, those get drastically retooled. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. We're gonna quit the podcast before that, but it's coming. Yeah, yeah. I think on X Men number one is where we just ended because it'd be like there's too many books now. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Can't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, if you don't want that to happen, go out to patreon.com and, and <laughs> sign up at our don't quit at X-Men number one level of $15. Don't quit at X-Men one number one level. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what do you get at that level? Well, the podcast keeps going. <laughs> All right. But seriously, uh, until next time, my name's Jeremy. And my name's Shadam. Uh, the danger room is closed. Shadam. Shadam.